That looks good, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm excited. And, uh, you know, a really exciting thing is uh, we have a, a fall retreat, um, which our youth pastor, Jordan Pelfrey, organizes and leads. A number of churches are, are becoming part of it. But one of the people featured in this movie, Scott McNamara, is going to speak at our youth retreat this fall, our student retreat. Um, so that's really awesome, isn't it? That's really cool. Yeah, Robbie Dawkins was in there too, so we've had Robbie here a lot of times at the church. All right, so um, yeah, I'm excited about that. I, I'm, I'm eager to watch the movie. It makes me want to travel again, go someplace and uh, just go into a new culture and see what God wants to do. Just watching that little bit. Hey, I have a couple of jokes for you, okay? <clears throat> First one. Now, if you're not used to going to church, you might not get this joke, okay? But... Um, this guy was stranded on a desert island, and after like five years, he was rescued. And the rescue team that came in, they picked him, you know, got him on the helicopter to take him away. And they said, well, where are the others? And he said, there are no others. It's just me. And, and the, the, the guy, the, the head of the team said, well, when we flew over the island, we saw three huts. Why were there three huts? And he said, well, one of the huts is the hut I live in, and the other one is the church I go to. And the guy said, well, well, what's the third hut for? And he said, oh, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> okay. You got it. That's awesome. So the, I, I have two real short jokes for you that are about a, boy, a little boy's Sunday school class. And the, uh, the teacher is teaching them about the Old Testament, about Lot. And so the teacher says, Lot... God told Lot to take his wife and flee. And so Lot did, and in the process, his wife looked back at Sodom. She wasn't supposed to, and she turned into a pillar of salt. And one of the little boys stuck his hand up right away and said, what happened to the flea? Okay, okay. All right, then try this one. See if this one, if this one connects, okay. Um, Sunday school teacher telling this class of little boys again, I think this was in Las Vegas, and they're teaching about the power of kings and queens in Bible times. And so the teacher saying how powerful they were, but then the teacher says, but there was one other power that was greater than the power of kings and queens. Who knows what that was? And a little boy shot his hand up and said, aces. All right, all right. We'll leave those behind, okay? Just forget I told those, please. Don't hold that against me, just like God doesn't hold it against me. Hey, what I want to talk about today is this, real simple truth. God is good. You know that, you hear it here a lot, but we need to be reminded of this because everything in the world draws us a different direction and, and a lot of stuff even in the church draws us a different direction than concluding that God is good. And we need to know, if we're gonna live the lives we were created to live and the lives that we were recreated in Christ, born again in Christ to live, we have to understand God's goodness that he is good all the time, that everything he does is good. God is not mad at you. God is in a good mood. God is for you, not against you. We need to know those things. And, and when we talk about goodness, we're not talking about goodness in a kind of a mysterious type of goodness. 
Like people will say, well, I have this cancer and um, I know God gave it to me or God allowed me to have it for some good reason. There's a good mysterious, the reason's mysterious. I don't know what it is yet, but there's a good reason that I have this. We're not talking about that kind of good, a mysterious good. In fact, really, if a person really truly believed that, why would they go to the doctor to get rid of the sickness? If God gave me this sickness and he has a good purpose behind it, then why would I want to get rid of it? But we all know cancer is not good. Cancer is a bad thing. Car accidents are bad. Financial failure is not a good thing. Now, God is so gracious that he uses any of those things in our lives it does, to draw us closer to him, but that's just because he's with me. And just like my dad, walking with my dad when I was a little boy, if, if, um, if I fell down and hurt my knee, it's not because my dad pushed me down. I fell, and he's there holding my hand, and he's there comforting me. And I draw closer to him because of that. In the same way God's with us through everything, but he doesn't cause all of these things. If he did, then we have to totally redefine the word good. But in the Bible, it says that Jesus, in Acts 10, 38, it's summarizing the life and ministry of Jesus in one short verse, and it says that Jesus went around in the power of the Holy Spirit, doing good everywhere. Now, what did Jesus do? Was his good mysterious? No, his good was rise up and walk. His good to the blind person was eyes open and see. His good to the demonized person was be free. His, 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 his good for the hungry was here. We're going to multiply this food so you all get to eat as much as you want. What Jesus did in his goodness, it was clear, tangible, Goodness, acts of goodness that you could see and no mystery to it. But it does go on to say that he did good everywhere he went and he healed everyone, everyone that asked. He healed all those that came to him. Some came to him with strong faith. Some came to him with no faith or little faith. And he healed them all. It says he healed all who came to him and who were oppressed by the devil. And so you look at the New Testament and you see everybody Jesus healed, every demonic deliverance, everything that he did was to release people from the oppression of the devil. And that's why we uh, like this verse, John 10, 10, where it says, the thief, and we believe the thief is the devil, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. So it's, it's really... It's really essential that we understand that and just get back to this thinking, God's in a good mood today. Okay, that's, that's kind of an odd statement for us to make, but it, 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 it's odd because it catches our thinking. It catches us on a, a wrong thought pattern that we have that God might not be in a good mood today, that God might be mad at me today. But to understand God's not mad at you, God is in a good mood, God loves you, he is for you, not against you. Now, you might say this. You might say, well, Van, don't you believe God judges sin? Don't you believe that God is angry with the abortion industry or with people who commit adultery or people who, uh, who lie and cheat and steal? Don't you think God's angry? 
Well, the Bible does say in a couple of places that Jesus was angry. In one place, he was angry with religious leaders who knew the truth, but for their own personal gain, rejected the truth and led other people astray. He was angry with them, and he was angry with people that were offending children. Now, I, I don't know what exactly how that fits in. Some things aren't perfectly clear, but I do know this, that, and we're going to demonstrate this, that God is not angry with sinners. That's a, that's a good statement to make, and that's a solid theological truth. God is not angry with sinners. He is not on the brink of judging sinners. He's not there saying, all right, this guy, man, if he takes one more step, take a squadron of angels and get down there and hammer him because he has gone over the limit of sin. He's hit the point where now we're going to judge him. That's not how God's, that's not how God's, that how God's conducting himself. That's not God's heart. So I'm going to show you how, why that's true. We're going to look at a passage that, um, that uh, will open some of this up for us more in John 16, verses 7 through 11. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to that. I'll be reading the New American Standard translation, but I think it'll be on the screen behind me also. John 16, 7 through 11. Okay, before we read this, let me ask you this. Thinking of all of this, would it be better to be in the condition you're in right now, or would it be better to have Jesus sitting beside you? Let's say in his resurrection body, he's sitting right there, so when you leave here, he's going to walk out with you physically. He's going to be in the car with you. He's going to eat with you. He's going to talk with you everywhere you go. Would it be better to have that or to have what you have right now? How many would want that? Jesus with you all the time. Okay. Were none of you here last week to hear Jim Baker? Every question he asked was a trick question, okay? So this, this is a trick question because what we're going to read right now is that Jesus said the opposite was true. Here Jesus said in John 16, verse 7, he said, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so Jesus says this. He says, it's better for me to be gone and the Holy Spirit to be here than it is for me to be here in person. And that's because when the Holy Spirit comes, he fills the whole earth. And Jesus was in a local position. The Holy Spirit's job is to give us new hearts. His job, his, his, his responsibility is to direct us and to guide us and to live inside of us. And so Jesus says that's better than anything that we could have when Jesus is actually here. But then it goes on to say, and he, when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And you might look at that and say, aha, God is upset. There is conviction of sin that's happening. There is judgment that's happening. But when you say that, you have to understand what the word conviction means. And the, the word conviction here doesn't, doesn't have to mean what we think of when we think of a court case and someone, the verdict comes back and they say guilty and then there's a punishment that is meted out. The word conviction has, uh, in, in, in its meaning, just as much, just as likely the meaning is to convince someone of something, to present something to them and to show them and, and to have them understand this truth. And so the way this word's being used here, I would say conviction is bringing truth into a person's life that shows them a better way so they can turn from the way they're going. 
So conviction is bringing truth into a person's life, convincing them of that, showing them the right way so they can turn from the way they're going and live the way God created them to live. And when he talks about judgment here, sin, righteousness, and judgment, we have to look at the rest of the passage to really understand that. He says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And, and so... We see this here so clearly that conviction of the Holy Spirit coming into the world, as we look at these three aspects of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, we're going to see that his work is to reveal Jesus to people so that they can come to faith in Jesus. And, and I know that, that when, I, when I accepted Christ, I was 20 years old, and um, I had three key things happened. Uh, that, that, that brought me to Christ. Besides growing up going to Sunday school, I grew up going to Sunday school, knew the Bible, I actually understood the gospel message, and I had plans that when I was in my 60s, when I'm the age I'm at now, I would accept Christ at that point. That was my plan. But um, my second year of college, I was um, living just this wrong way, drugs and, and everything that comes with that lifestyle. And about to flunk out of college. But before I flunked out, I was, I was on campus and there was an event happening at one of the chapels on campus. I stopped in and I just went in and sat down and at the end of this speaker, uh, this guy spoke, a young girl came up that I had known my freshman year and she told me how Jesus had changed her life. And just what, what how, how, when she opened her heart to him, every, all the new things she saw and, and how, you know, how she has peace now. And, and, and I didn't doubt a word of it because I knew the gospel. And, and I thought, well, yeah, that's right. That's what happens when you accept Christ. But it did touch my heart and it really kind of, it drew me. But I, I lost that very quickly. But later, uh, after, after I had flunked out that summer, I'm living at home and I had a dream one night. And in this dream, Jesus appeared to me and he came down, came down out of the sky and he was like Sunday school Jesus with a cloak on and a long beard just like the pictures I had seen in Sunday school. And, um, and I'm not saying that's what he looks like, okay? That's just in my mind. That's how I interpreted him. And he came down and he never touched ground. He stayed a few feet above me and he looked down at me and he said, I just want you to know I saw you last night. And I know what you were doing. And that impacted my heart. It impacted my heart. It was the Holy Spirit giving me this dream so that I would have a, a, something internal pressure that would come. And, and then a couple months after that, I was watching TV and Billy Graham was on. And um, there was nothing else on, so I ended up watching Billy Graham, which I had planned on watching in my 60s. But... Uh, Happened a little bit sooner than that. God had other plans. And I listened to him. And as I listened to him, I felt this pressure building inside of me. And this just, I'm not living right. This isn't right. I can't wait. And, and what happened was I saw how beautiful Jesus was. As he described Jesus and as he talked about what Jesus has done for us, the Holy Spirit was just showing me more of Jesus 
So that at the end of that message, I just opened my heart to Christ. I surrendered my heart to Christ and received him. But it was the Holy Spirit that did that. That's his job. And so we start off here and we look at this first phrase and, um, and, and let's look at it. Just realizing God's goodness and, and we see it right here that he's going to convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Now, he says he's going to convict the world, and it would be easy for us instantly to think of a preacher holding a Bible up and you know, pointing a long bony finger at sinners and, and yelling at them about their sin. It would be easy to think that he's, the Holy Spirit's going to show people how rotten they are. He's going to show people all the evil things they've done. And yet what he says here, that he's going to convict the world of sin. Why? What? Because they don't believe in me. It's not because of the evil things that have been done. It's not that the Holy Spirit's going to come and put pressure on because of how rotten people are. No, it is, he's going to show people who Jesus is. And he's going to show people there's a better way of life than they've chosen and that they've been going on. And when you see the beauty of who Jesus is and, and you, you come to believe in him and like the, the, uh, the gal said in the video, trust. Trust is a relational statement. You come to trust in him and you begin to walk with him. And so the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit's job, first of all, to convict people of sin, not us. Not my job, not your job. And the sin is rejecting Jesus, not accepting Jesus. Lori's part, a big part of Lori's testimony comes down to um, one night where she had been studying the Bible with uh, a, another young woman that was a believer and Lori hadn't yet accepted Christ. And she heard a speaker one night and after the message, she went up to talk to the speaker and asked him a question. And he said, well, he answered her question. Then he said, do you mind if I ask you a question? And she said, no, that's fine. And he said, have you received Christ as your Savior and Lord yet? And Lori said, uh, no, I haven't. And then she said, I hope that doesn't offend you. And he looked at her and he said, why would it offend me? It's not me you're rejecting. See, it wasn't his job to try to convict her. He was pointing her to Jesus and pointing her to her relationship with Jesus. And, and that was what tipped the scale for her. And she immediately went, found her friend and prayed to receive Jesus into her heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He just shows us how good Jesus is. He shows us how much we need him. And so it goes on. And um, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 is really key. We've, we've hit this passage in the past, but I want to look at it again. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 says this. Now God reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So he's talking about believers here, and he's saying, if you're a believer in Christ, we have been reconciled to God through Christ, and then he shows us this ministry of reconciliation, how we can help other people be reconciled to Christ. And he says, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and this is what that means, not counting their trespasses against them. And then it goes on to say, therefore, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. What this is saying is that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for sin. He took care of all sin for the whole world for all time. And what that means is that God now is looking at unbelievers and he's not holding their sin against them. That's what it says. 
He's not holding their sins against them. And so in this age, God is not dealing with unbelievers on the basis of how bad a sinner that the person might be or the, the things that they've done. Now, there are places in the Bible where it talks about a future day of, of judgment that's coming. And when Jesus returns, it call, it's called the day of wrath. It's called the day of judgment. It's called the day when Christ returns, when Christ is revealed from heaven. And in all those cases, it says that people are storing up judgment for themselves when that day comes. Because what's going to happen is the day comes where God separates all who have believed Christ and in Christ from those who haven't. And at that time, people's lives that they have lived will be then justly dealt with by a good, loving, and just God. But in this whole age that we live with now, what we need to understand is God is not counting sins against people. He's not looking at people and saying, well, let's see, you're an abortion doctor, you've aborted how many babies, you are, you're, oh, you know, he's, he's not looking at that. He's not saying, well, you were unfaithful to your wife how many times, or you stole from your employer all these times. He's not thinking of that. He's thinking, my son paid for all of that, and right now, I want you to come to me. I'm not holding that against you. I'm not, I'm not, not tallying, I'm not t- keeping a running tab. It's all paid for. I want you to come to me. See, he's reconciled himself to unbelievers, to the whole world. And now, the only thing that needs to happen is people need to see how beautiful and good Jesus is and turn to him. Because the Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not his wrath. It's not his anger. It's the kindness of God. And we see the kindness of God, and we see that, that the sin's paid for. I'm clean before him. I can come back to him. And, and, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. So the Holy Spirit's job is to convince people that it's a pretty big mistake to reject Jesus. Second thing the Holy Spirit does is he convicts the world um, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. Now again, it would be easy to think, well, okay, he's going to show the world how unrighteous it is. He's, he's convicting of righteousness. That means he's going to point out all of the wrong things the world does. But that's not what this is saying at all. What it's saying is he's going to show the world what righteousness is because I'm not going to be here any longer as a living example of what righteousness is. Because Jesus says here, because I go to the Father. You see, as long as Jesus was here on the earth, you could look at him, you could see how he treated people, you could see the love he lived with, you could see uh, how he, uh, the kindness in, in his speech towards those that had been rejected and ostracized. You could see what righteousness was by looking at the life of Jesus. But now that Jesus is gone, it takes the Holy, the Holy Spirit's work is to reveal to the world what true righteousness is. And the word righteous means rightness. It's not like a religious term that, you know, are you righteous or, or not, but it's, it means rightness. And, and what that means is rightness according to what you were created to be. So if you have a car engine and it was designed and created for the spark plugs to fire in a certain sequence, and for a certain amount of fuel to come into the, to the combustion chamber at just the right instant in time when there's going to be a spark that's going to set it off. 
if it's created to operate that way, but let's say the, the, the spark plugs aren't firing in sequence and the system that sprays the fuel into the combustion chamber is off, so it's spraying too much or not enough, the car won't start. That car, you would say, is unrighteous because it's, it's not right. But if you have a mechanic straighten all those things out, then it's operating according to what it was created to be, and it is then righteous. And so God, through the Holy Spirit, will show the world what real righteousness is, what we were actually created to be. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing when we see what we were created to be. He does that through opening people's minds to understand Scripture. He does that through uh, speaking to people directly in dreams and visions at times. And he does that often through us. Through us as believers, through a church body, showing what righteousness is. And none of us will ever be perfectly righteous, but the Holy Spirit can take just one, one little bit of righteousness that we display, and he can take that and he can show it to a person and say, this is what the kingdom's like. This is what, this is what God created you to be like, is what, that, what happened right there. That's, that's righteous. And when we see that, then something happens to our hearts, and, uh, and we, we just, um, we see again how good Jesus is. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. That's his job. Now, the third thing he does is this. It's concerning judgment. And he says this, because the ruler of this world has been judged. So he's going to, he's going to convict the world, convince the world of judgment, but not the judgment of the world, the judgment of the God of this world, the judgment of God's enemy, that at the cross, Satan was judged. And at the cross, he was defeated. At the cross, he, his power and authority were taken away. So that what he had before, which had been given to him by Adam and Eve, they, they had been given authority over the earth when they obeyed Satan rather than God, when they ate that fruit, it wasn't just a simple act of small, small thing they did and, and with big, big consequences. What they actually were doing was resigning from God's team and joining Satan's team because they believed the lies that Satan told them about God. And so they decided to abandon God and to become part of Satan's team. And when they did that, they gave him their authority and so he'd been operating with authority over the earth for all those years until Jesus came. And Jesus, as the Son of God who became a human being, you see, it, would, it was given away by mankind. It had to be taken back by mankind. But mankind couldn't take it back. None of us could ever be righteous enough to do that. So the Son of God came into earth, became a man, so that he could die on the cross. And by his sacrificial death, pay for sin for all the world for all time. And by doing that, he took away Satan's authority over the earth. So that now, Satan is, no longer has authority. And he, Jesus gives that authority to the church. He gives it to us. And we see that in Luke. In Luke uh, 10, Luke 9, Luke 9 and 10 and Luke 9, it's very clear that... Um, 
Jesus says to the apostles, he said, I give you authority of, of, over uh, death and sickness and all the power of the enemy. And then he sent them out and they went out and they preached and they healed and they cast demons out of people and they came back and debriefed with Jesus because Jesus had been doing that all along, showing them how to do it. And then he gives them his delegated authority to go out and do it and they did it. But then the very next chapter in Luke 10, it says he called 72 others not apostles, but just 72 other believers, followers of his, and he gave them this delegated authority temporarily at that time before he had died on the cross and rose from the dead. It was temporary. He gave them temporary authority to go out and to do the same thing the apostles had done. And when these 72 came back, they were amazed and they said to Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And so they came back astounded that demon-possessed people, that the demons in these demon-possessed people did exactly what they told them to do because they had Jesus' authority. That's what it means when in your name, it's with your authority. And so Jesus then on the cross, he made that a permanent thing. What had been given temporarily through his personal authority here on earth as the Son of God and, and as a Holy Spirit-filled man now he, he delivers permanently to the church so that Satan's defeat has been sealed. And in fact, Jesus himself in Luke 10, when they come back, he says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. And so he's saying, when you guys were out there doing that, man, I, I just had this picture of the complete, total defeat of the enemy. And this is how it's going to happen through people just like you, just like you 72 that went out with this bold sense of love and confidence and authority and you exercised it under, under my direction and under my leadership, you exercised it and you defeated Satan and I see his complete total demise coming. And then when Jesus rose from the dead and, and he, he ultimately ascended to heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to come who is the power and authority of Christ, of God on earth, the, the authority of the kingdom, and he comes and he fills every one of us. And so the Holy Spirit shows us, he convinces us that Satan is defeated, that he is a defeated enemy. In fact, um, when in James it says this, it says that resist the devil and he will do what? He'll flee from you. Now, think about this. What does flee mean? Pardon me? All right. He's, he's, he's terrified. You flee from something when you are afraid of it. When you are confused and you know, if I stay here, something really bad is going to happen. I got to get out of here. And so we need to understand that Satan is afraid of us. And his only tool now, I'm not saying he doesn't have any power, but his power has to be insinuated in through lies. Just like with Adam and Eve, we have to believe his lies. If we believe his lies, then he can insinuate himself into our lives, and, and there is power there, but he doesn't have authority to do that. And if, if we're alert, and if we resist, then he's terrified, he flees. And so we need to recognize that, that there is real victory in, um, in knowing Jesus. So these three things is what the Holy Spirit does. And, and this is how the whole judgment thing works in this age. In this age, the message is 
God loves you, God is good, he is for you, and even if you don't know him yet, he wants you to know him. He's already done everything that needs to be done. Nothing that you have done in your lifetime can stand between you and God any longer. The only thing that stands between you and God is you being reconciled to him. He's reconciled himself to you, you be reconciled to him. You change your mind about him. You, you recognize how good he is and his kindness and his love and repent, turn to him. And when you turn to him, and by that, we, we describe that a lot of ways, inviting Jesus into your heart, receiving Christ, a, a lot of different ways, but you're really, you're opening life, your life up to Jesus. And you're just saying, Jesus, I really, I believe in you. I want you in my life. When you do that, then you come into the, the house of God, the family of God. You get a new heart. You become a new person, a new being. And you begin, you begin then to learn what it means to walk in this authority that Christ has given us. But it, it really comes down to, I believe, a, a sense of bold love. And I, w- I want to share a story with you that happened um, to me a few years ago, like 2013. I was traveling in Zimbabwe with Robbie Dawkins. Robbie's in this movie. You saw him there in, um, in part of the, the clip that we just had. And um, we were there for two and a half weeks. And Mugabe was the president at that time. And he, he ruled the country through fear, just through fear and domination. And so he actually had small groups of kind of like thugs that worked for the government that went around just creating disruption, creating fear. And if they saw something they didn't like, step in and beat someone or, or do something uh, to, just to, to create turmoil. And this one day, we were in, we were in a city, and uh, we were going out to do power evangelism. We had taught on it that morning. Robbie had taught on it. And um, I had three young Zimbabweans with me, and we were out trying to find people we could pray for. And they were going along asking everybody, and everybody was saying, no, no, no. Finally, they found this old man sitting on the curb, and they started talking to him, and he was telling them his problems, and he was getting ready to let them pray for him. And one of these thugs that uh, was part of Mugabe's whole system came up and, and literally just pushed one of the guys away. And then he stood there over this old man like this, just yelling at the old man right, right over top of him, throwing his finger at him over and over again. And uh, then he, he walked away. And then the, the, um, the old man just sat there shaking his head like this, no, no, no. And they, they said, well, can we pray for you? No. And I said, what did that guy say to him? Because he was, he, was, he was speaking in Shona, the native language there. And um, one of the young guys I was with said, well, he said that if he lets us pray for him, he and his friends, where he had three guys with him, two or three guys with him, he and his friends will come back and beat him later. And so Robbie had made this statement, and we had been saying this on the trip, we're not going to let the devil have the last word. And so that popped into my mind. And I thought, that's right. Right now, in this case, we're not going to let the devil have the last word. And I said to one of the guys, I said, where'd he go? The, the guy, where'd he go? And, and, and this guy was probably 6'1 or so, probably 200 pounds. He looked like he would play, like, not linebacker, not big enough, but defensive back for an NFL team. He was in really good shape, probably about 30 years old. And a leather jacket, leather beret, um, really decked out, but, but I said, where did he go? 
And the guy said, Van, don't, no. And I said, just relax. I said, where did he go? And the other one, he was about from here to the first row of chairs away, leaning up against the car. And the other one tried to step in between us so I couldn't see the guy. And his eyes were big. And he said, he said, Van, don't. And I don't know if you remember, there was an old show called Sledgehammer years ago. And it was a stupid half hour a comedy show about this policeman that was a real goofball, but uh, he would always say, trust me, I know what I'm doing, and uh, when, when things were really bad, and of course, he never knew what he was doing, but I, I said, look, guys, trust me, I know what I'm doing, I've got this, and, and I looked over, and I saw the guy that had yelled at the, the, the uh, old man, so our eyes locked, and I walked over to him, and I said, you vile creature, how dare you stand against the work of God? How dare you, in your sinfulness, stand against the move of the Holy Spirit in this old man's life? And of course, he crumbled in tears and repented right on the spot. Now, the other ending is this. He beat, beat me to a pulp. Uh, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. I had no idea what I was going to do. I just knew I needed to talk to this guy, so I walked up to him, and I held my hand out, and I said, hi, I'm Van, what's your name? And he spit back at me with venom, not exaggerating, why do you care who I am? I said, I'm just trying to be friendly, I'm Van, what's your name? And he said, why are you here? We have too many white people in our country already, why are you here? And I said, I, we're just here praying for people. And, you know, tell them about Jesus. And then again, anger. He's, don't you have any problems in your own nation? And I said, yeah, man. I said, I'm from America. And we have more problems than we know what to do with. And something happened right there. The anger lowered in him. And he said to me, in exasperation now, not anger. It was kind of like, okay, these, we're, we've talked enough now that he's asking me an honest question. He said, then why are you here? And I just said, because Jesus told me to come here. Okay, nothing profound in any of that. But he looked at me for two or three seconds, and he was leaning back like this against the car, and in one motion, he stood up, took my hand, shook my hand, and said, in that case, God bless you, which was a miracle. And he said, in that case, God bless you. And he started to stride away. I don't know what possessed me to do this, but as he walked away, I held his arm. I held his hand. And when he got like from here, I jerked his arm. And have any of you ever seen a Clint Eastwood movie? You know, where Clint Eastwood looks at someone out of the corner of his eye right before he pulls out his 44 Magnum and blows them <laughs> to smithereens. I got that look right there. He looked at me like, do you know what could happen right now? And... Um, but I just leaned into him, not close enough to kiss him or anything, but I just leaned in, you know, kind of close. And I just said, man, God bless you. You know, I, I, I wanted him to know, you know, God loves you. Jesus loves you. you know, he's here for you. And, you know, I walked away from that, and I thought, you know, that's really not me. I'm not this bold guy that does stuff like that. But somehow, and I, and I didn't feel like this shiver of, Holy Spirit's on me. I'm bold now. Nothing like that. 
It was just, I, I declared internally, we're not gonna let the devil have the last word here. And I stepped out in just simple words, but it was, I believe it was the Holy Spirit speaking to this guy about his need for Jesus. It was the Holy Spirit, I hope, showing him something of the righteousness of God through a lack of fear and, 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 and consistent comebacks of love. And I hope, and I, and I think that it was Satan fleeing. I think, it, I think that's what happened, that Satan fled and, and allowed this young man to just think for himself for just a moment. But when we're looking at the world, we're looking at, even, well, when we're looking at the world, if we look at the world and we think, well, God's so angry, man, the hammer is about to fall, then what do we have to offer other than the hammer is about to fall? That all we have is judgment then, but that's, that wasn't Jesus, and that's not what this passage is saying. This passage is talking about bold love, and what the Holy Spirit produces in us to approach people with a bold sense of love. I wish I could tell you I have a dozen more stories like that since 2013, but I don't, and I feel a little bit convicted by that. But um, I want to pray right now for us, okay? And then the worship team's going to come up, we're going to worship. Father, we're thankful that you are good, and we're thankful you make it clear what your heart is towards us and what your heart is towards people that don't yet know you. And it's a heart of compassion and kindness. You're for us, not against us. Thank you for that. Fill our hearts just with a confidence in our relationship with you that nothing we've done in the past hangs over our heads, that there's nothing that, no, sh no, no shame, no guilt, no condemnation, because Jesus took it all, and we're just like innocent children before you. Fill our hearts with your love, make us all bold, so that we can go out, we can just love people in a gentle, bold way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, there are baskets to your left. If you reach down and grab that, and we'll receive our offering right now. Then we're going to go straight into our worship service. Thank you for giving. Um, you, know, you need to know this, I think, once in a while. I want to say this, that we, we're not funded by anything, anyone outside the people that attend this church. And so uh, everything that we do is funded by those of you who are, are here, sitting here. So... Really thankful for each one of you and uh, pray blessing on your life. So let's stand. We're going to worship. You're welcome to come down to the front to worship. And uh, let's just open our hearts to Jesus now. Tell him how much we love him. pursuing us he's, he's not looking and thinking well if you hadn't done that I'd pursue you he said no that's all taken care of that's out of the way it's all gone he's pursuing us if you're a believer here and you've been if, you, if you've accepted Christ already as your savior but you've been struggling with shame over things you did either before you became a believer or or even afterwards but I'm thinking particularly three things one um people who have had abortions 
and and you just you're struggling with you, you this happened in your life and you just still struggle with shame over it you can't you can't hardly believe that jesus covered that there's freedom i believe god wants to set you free from that and people who've have had affairs in the past and you still you just f- still feel like man i'm such a failure I, i'm not worthy of god's blessing because of this and the third thing was people who have stolen and maybe you maybe you uh, stole from your boss or from I, I don't know maybe your mother's purse when you're a kid and it's still the guilt and the shame of that and i believe god wants to set set you free particularly for those three things but maybe others too i'm going to pray right now if that's you just right where you are just hold your hands up well everyone just hold your hands up we all have things to deal with and i, I want to pray freedom right now father god we acknowledge and we recognize and we believe that jesus paid it all he paid for everything you reconciled the world to yourself through jesus not through our behavior not through our faith not through our worship but through jesus and you are no longer counting those things that we did or have done against us And so in Jesus' name, where there is shame, I I break it off, break it off. I break it off in Jesus' name. Freedom. Walk in freedom. You know, we all need more boldness. And I, and I feel like during worship, God was just pouring stuff into us that will produce boldness. We take our eyes off ourselves, put them on Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit shows us Jesus. And, and, and boldness will be the natural result. When we're not taking responsibility, we're not thinking, well, I have to make this work. If I talk to this person and it doesn't go right or whatever, give that all up. Focus on Jesus and boldness is the result. And we're going to have our prayer teams up here. If you need more boldness, come and get prayer, okay? If, uh, if you have a sickness, uh, whatever it might be, we're, we're pressing in. We're praying. We're believing God for healing. And we're going to see more and more healing as time goes on. So come and get prayer for healing. Uh, whatever other needs you might have. Uh, freedom from judging others. I feel like a lot of us are just being convicted that, you know, I'm looking at people and I'm thinking, man, I'm better than that person because look what they did. And you're not really thinking that thought, but that's kind of like how the, 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 the heart postures itself. Jesus wants to set you free from that. You need to be set free from that. And so uh, we, we pray right now for freedom from that, freedom from judgment in all of our hearts, just to have your heart, Father God, for people. Give us that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, whatever you need prayer for, please make your way down. And um, man, what a great day to worship and, and, and just seek the Lord together. Good worship, good time. We'll see you next week.